Welcome to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. Uh, this is episode number 189. And I don't know if you could tell if you listened to the last episode. Um, I recorded the intro and outro right after uh, my school got canceled. Uh, basically, everyone's life took a dramatic right turn uh, because of the whole coronavirus situation. Um but I was kind of a little bit shell-shocked, a little bit uh, trying to process the whole thing. And I do feel like this whole situation is going to be a lot of processing for everybody. Um, but there was some of that uh, throughout the beginning of the week, you know, um, as I kind of adjusted to uh, not going in as a teacher every day and all that stuff. Um, I did have a lot of questions and confusions and and a lot of emotions like this whole week's been kind of a a roller coaster emotion uh of emotion for me and probably for you and probably for uh a lot of people in the world um and i wanted to and i know whenever i'm confused about something or uh trying to deal with emotions i like to talk it out uh, I like to talk it out with with my friends, my family, um, the people closest to me, and uh, and this week's guest, Paul Shearing. Uh, honestly, I, he's one of the best dudes in the whole wide world. I love the guy so much. Um, he's helped me process uh, a lot over the last couple of years, which has been really, really cool. Um, and so I selfishly just wanted to have a conversation with Paul <laughs> and uh he was graceful enough to uh say that we could we could chat for the podcast. So um this episode it kind of goes all over the place. Uh there is ultra running talk for uh you know the folks that tune in for that. <laughs> uh so that's definitely a part of it because Paul and I met through uh ultra running. Um but there's also talk about family and community and how do we support each other in this time and how do we process uh, this new kind of uh, situation that none of us has, have ever been in before. Um, and yet we're all in it. We're all in it together. The whole entire world, it seems, is in this whole this thing together and we're figuring it out. So there's talk about humanity. Um, Paul... Like I said, he's one of the wisest people I know. He has wisdom to share. And I'm a dude with open ears, just ready to listen to the wisdom of Paul Shearing. Um, and so I hope you guys get some takeaways out of this. I also, I am proud to say I made Paul laugh at one point, And it was like the sweetest sound to grace my ears besides my own children's voices. <laughs> um, and so I hope you guys... Uh, enjoy that but you know when i think back when i think about this whole thing this uh coronavirus situation i'm trying to think like what can i do what's an actionable thing me chris ward right now can do and i think something we all can do is just affect our community affect our communities whatever that may be maybe that's your neighborhood maybe that's your household community right now because you're st stuck in your house and maybe you have a couple kids and maybe you know and you want to affect them as positively as you can 
And there's a choice we can all make right now. And the choice is um, we can either do a negative action or we can do a positive action. And that's your choice in every single moment. And I'm hoping that more people are choosing to do positive actions and being conscious. And it's really hard to be conscious of your actions when you're in a scary situation. It really, really is. But now's the time to step up. You know, now's the time to be a good human being. Now's the time to help your neighbor out. Now's the time to call your grandma uh, or talk to the people who may be lonely or who may be, you know, have more fear or, you know, are more susceptible. Now's the time to just be better. And I think we all need to do that. And I think uh, a couple of things I, you know, when I think about affecting my community, I'm like, I think do think about my household. How can I be the best dad? How can I be the best husband? Um, my wife is a doctor. She's in the medical field. And I'm like, how are we going to help, you know, help her, you know, stay sane and stay, you know, help her mental health through this whole thing. Um, I think about our neighbors, uh, my neighborhood, my street. And then I also start thinking about, you know, my community. And by that, I mean, like, I'm slowly expanding out. Like, what about the the area I'm in, you know, what about this part of the city? Like, how can I positively affect that? And if you go out and you, you make a positive change in a conscious way where you're not like, you know, you know, increasing the possibility of spreading this thing, but if you can somehow find a way to make a positive change, you are doing your part. And if we all do our part, we're a heck of a lot better off than if we all don't do our part um, is kind of how I'm seeing it. So, and also, you know, when we are talking about community, like you, we could be talking about your internet community. Um, maybe it's people on your social media. Maybe it's a group of friends that you have and you're connected over the internet or over text messages or whatever. Just figure out ways to be positive with them. Um, so that's what I'm hoping you guys get out of this. Uh, like I said, I just enjoy this conversation with Paul. Um, I know I'll listen to it in times where, uh, you know, that might be a bit rough over the next however amount of time. And, you know, so for that, um, I'm so grateful for Paul and I'm grateful for his perspective and uh, his, you know, presence and advice and wisdom. So hope you guys are too. Um, enjoy the episode. We'll probably be back, uh, be back a little earlier in the week next week because I have a b bunch of these recorded now. Um, so, yeah, let's get into it. This is Like a Bigfoot Podcast number 189 with my man, Paul Shearing. I get to do the really awkward, like, inauthentic intro right now, which okay. feels so weird. But yeah. Okay. <laughs> I get it. All right, guys, uh, I'm I'm bringing back on one of my favorite people in the whole entire world. He's the man. Uh, his nickname is Uncle Paul, but only to me and Phil Pinty mm -hmm. and uh, Thomas Mullen. So uh, Uncle Paul, Paul Shearing, welcome back on, my friend. Thank you very much for bringing me back. Let me, since we just mentioned Phil... And I mean, we went one second before mentioning him. What did he say? Hold on. I just texted him. Oh, he said, um, tell him his spiritual son says hello. Keep on keeping on. <laughs> I would like to see the woman I mated with to make Phil Pinty. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true, man. Well, hey, I... She probably had a 
beard, man. <laughs> she probably could bench press you. Oh, 10 times. <laughs> um, yeah, man, Paul, welcome on, dude. I'm excited to talk with you. Uh, I know this summer we were kind of uh, throwing around ideas of like, hey, we should do a podcast about like community and brotherhood and fellowship. And, you know, as everyone knows, like, I feel like right now those those topics are more kind of pertinent than ever. So. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a great time. I mean, you know, we just you know, the world is, you know, you don't get crises like this very much, obviously. And, you know, it's a test of character for, you know, the entire world, for the entire community. And it's just, I feel like the more we can, you know, live in the Chris Ward world of, you know, positivity and, and, you know, spreading the word that it's all good, man, is, uh, I just think that's a service at this stage. Cause you know, you, you go on Twitter and people, I mean, people are tearing each other apart and, and that's just not what you do, you know, in these kind of circumstances. And everybody's everybody's scared and everybody's needy um, and worried. And, you know, you just need people that are, you know, that got their back, you know, that, you know, that say it's all good, man. We're all going through this together and we're going to come out the other side. We are because a lot of people don't think we're going to come out the other side, man. And, and this is going to go faster than people think. Um, but the important thing is that we don't lose our collective dignity. You know, it's just like, we're all in together. We're brothers and sisters. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and uh, you know, as this has progressed really over the last week, um, yeah. I, a couple of things I've, I've really thought about is I hope people start to understand, like, and, and start to be intentional about like, what do you post online? Are you posting something that is going to bring about uh, anxiety or fear? Or are you going to post something that is informative? Or are you posting something that is positive and trying to boost morale? Like just like being conscious about like what you're doing on social media and what you're posting out there is is important at all times, but especially like yeah. during this thing, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, the other thing I'm reflecting on is, you know, I would argue, broadly speaking, that most people are doing what they're supposed to. Let's, let's just argue that. Right. Uh, and of course, we can point fingers and say there's college kids in Miami partying and, you know, forget about that. Yeah. Broadly speaking, everyone's kind of doing the right thing. Right. And so given that you're doing that, you're you're either going to get it and die or you're not. Right. It's, it's like you've already kind of done the prep work and all that stuff. And so, you know, more or less the table's set for you. Right. And so with that, do you want to then panic or point fingers at people or what have you? Or do you say the chips are going to fall where they're going to fall? Right. So how do I want to go out if I'm going out? Right. And do you want your last word, you know, imagine that you send out some tweet that's just like just eviscerating somebody because you're so certain the other side is wrong. Um, and then you get coronavirus and you're dead within like 48 hours. And really the last thing you said to the world was a big middle finger. I mean, is that is that how you want to go? It's just it's, it's odd to me. It's just like, man, just go down swinging. You know, it's just the heart. Just. You're either going to die or not. It's not this. This thing's not going to kill you. And it's like maybe it will, but you know something's going to kill you in life. And it's like you know don't be scared. You know lead with your heart because you know it's not going to change shit. 
if you blame someone or throw out your, you know, two birds to the world, it's like, it's just not, it's, you know, how do you, how do you want to go out? That's yeah. the whole ballgame. Well, and you know, I, maybe this is just my philosophy and the way I view things, but I try, I do try to look at the positives of most situations and, um, or maybe not, I don't want to say positives, but I do want to say like an optimistic view. You know, like I was talking to my wife last night and she's a doctor and she's obviously going to be incredibly affected by this and like stressed and anxious and all this stuff, which is already, you know, stressed and anxious. Um, And I was trying to tell her like, hey, like I'm definitely keeping a realistic view of this whole thing and understanding of scientifically like what's going on and what's possible and things like that. But I have to be optimistic because what's the other choice? The other choice is being fearful and pessimistic and angry and stuff like that. And I'm like, I just can't. I can't do that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and, and maybe I can crystallize what I was saying before. But it's this idea is you do all you can, you, you know, with wisdom to prepare yeah. yourself for, you know, it, you know, to insulate yourself, to protect yourself, to prepare for whatever you're doing in life. Right. And it's like once you've done all that, you know, you just have a choice. You know, which is how you're going to proceed, because, you know, being negative is not going to add any more value, you know, any more survivability to your equation. Right. And so it's like, just how do you want to be? You know, it doesn't change things to, you know, blame someone or to, you know, be divisive. It's just like I just rather go out feeling good, you know, and and, and rather just go on, go out being on the right side of things. Well, and Uh, being positive does, does add value. And if you're form you or forming like a positive community now that value is like compounding on each other and getting bigger and bigger and bigger and like now you can actually make some you know some changes and some effects well i think i think that's a really big component because we've been kind of lensing this through you know you know your own kind of well-being and that sort of thing but then it becomes a form of service to the community to to be positive and to be supportive and to do the things you know you know it's a form of leadership because you know, people are scared and they're looking for somebody to go, no, man, we're all in this together. We're going to get through, you know, and, and that's what the world has always needed in times of crisis, always. Yeah. And it, this whole thing is just a huge gut check, a huge character check. And honestly, it's an opportunity for everybody in the world. It's like, who are you when the chips are down? You know, because the chips are down right now, man. This is a big deal. And it's like, are you a dick? Or is there love in your heart, you know? And it's like, you got the choice. Each of us have to make, you know? And like I said, of course, do the right prep stuff. Do all the rational stuff to get yourself in the best position you can. But after that, it's up to dice or God or however you want to look at it, right? It's dice at that point, Yeah. right? And so it's not going to change the equation if all of a sudden you're a dick, right? It's just going to make the, it's going to make the air poisonous around us in terms of, relationships and community you know one almost is going to be like a self-fulfilling prophecy for the people around you like now if you're anxious then the people around you are going to be anxious you like get that feeling from someone you know and you one thing i was thinking about yesterday because yesterday was a beautiful day out and i don't know if you can see today but it's like totally snowing we're in the middle of a blizzard (laughs) um but yesterday i was out walking around and I'm just like, how can I affect my neighbor? That's the most like right now, 
the one thing I can do that's under my control is how can I positively affect the people on my street and how can I positively affect my neighborhood and things like that. And I just think that's super important to keep in mind, you know, and then I kind of was thinking like, man, I'm a jerk. Why haven't I thought this all the time? Like, why is this not just my normal state? <laughs> no, but that, that's what I'm saying. There's an opportunity here because it crystallizes, you know, the stakes of life, you know? Yeah. And I mean, the bottom line is you're going to die, man, and I'm going to die. And it may not be today and it may not be tomorrow, but it might be in 20 years or 50 years, but you're guaranteed to be a bag of bones pretty soon. All of us are. And it's like, okay, you know, when you look back at the end, you're like, was that a person of character? Was that person of added value to the world? Or was he just a dick, just like a curmudgeon that just like blamed everyone and shot them for their toilet paper? <laughs> you know, I mean, at the end of the day, you just got to realize that, you know, when the chips are down, this is this is where the sum of your life really starts to to all be, you know, encompassed in a matter of hours or days, yeah. you know, we, we always think we have the luxury of years and decades and all this stuff to kind of define our life and character and everything. But sometimes in times of crisis like this, you know, you can define your entire life by an act of heroism, you know, yeah. or you can do the opposite and define your entire life by doing something really shitty and stupid and knee jerk that then you're married to for the rest of your life. That's true. And so it's just, it's, it's really an opportunity to see yourself and how do you want to, how do you want to have the sum of your life be, you know, in times of crisis like this? Um, and that's me and my soapbox, but I mean, you know, this is also a time of crisis and, and, and I do think that we need to be on soapboxes. Yeah, man. Yeah. Um, where did that saying come from? You're a smart guy. Where's What's soapbox? It? Like, did people stand on those tiny boxes soap yeah, came in, yeah. like Dove? Well, no, no, no. They Irish were bigger. Spring? <laughs> no, no, they were bigger than that, man. No, there were, you know, it was a, it was a, you know, a shipping crate of them. You know, it was like a hundred oh. Irish. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love the dude on the little Irish spring box. <laughs> <laughs> Give me two Irish spring boxes. I need to stand on these. Sorry, right, dude, I can't see you. Uh, can you st step up and stand a little taller? <laughs> he stands on them. They just collapse right away. Oh, Shit. <laughs> dang it. I need to be on my soapboxes. Um, yeah, man. Well, do you think, okay, so, you know, that's a very solid, positive uh, outlook and mindset. How have you developed that, Paul? Because we were just talking about our youths, our youths before uh, we started recording and like, you know, we were laughing at our middle school selves. Um, so, so how did that mindset kind of develop throughout your life? Well, I mean... I can't really take credit for it. I mean, I think we've talked about this on pre previous podcasts, but you know, one of my, you know, prevailing kind of influences in my life is Buddhism, you know, and, yeah. and, and Buddhism has this idea of karma and it's not, you know, the old fashioned, you know, Hey, if you put 10 cents in the jar for the barista, then you're going to get good luck down the road and not get hit by a semi. It's not, it's, that's not karma. Karma is, you know, the collective, forces that have preceded a moment in you that have all added up to that moment right um and so obviously you know it's my grandparents and my parents and all the people i yeah. cross with and all these different circumstances and that sort of stuff and um like i said i, I guess in some ways i'm not afraid to die maybe that's it it's because i know i'm gonna die 
you know. Yeah. Um, and, and I think at the root of a lot of people's fear is some version of that mortality thing, you know. Um, and it's just like, yeah, dude, I might die now. I might die in 30 years. And it, and it always goes back to what I was saying. It's like, but how do you want to go out? Yeah. It's like, who do you want to be? Because it's not going to change shit whether you're the hero or you're the dick. Yeah. You know, that's all just kind of a mindset. Um, and, and being the hero or being the positive positivist um, is a much more pleasant state to be in. Yeah. You know, what I mean? it's like being just tight and angry and, you know, protective and circling the wagons and blaming everyone else. That's a super unpleasant state to be in. Yeah. And it's just to carry that kind of tension in your body and in your soul and in your mind for days and weeks and years on end is just, it's a horrible feeling, you know, and you're lighter, I, you're lighter when you're not in that state. Right. Um, I don't know if that answers anything, but, um, yeah, it's just, it's just, I just recognize how shitty it feels to be that way. And I don't like feeling shitty. Yeah. When, yeah. when did you get into Buddhism? Oh, in college, I went through my Jack Kerouac phase where I read all the Beat Generation stuff, and that was my introduction to it. Okay. Um, but subsequent to that, I think I got a little more serious about meditation and retreats and, you know, the actual Abhidharma and all the, you know, the, the deeper Buddhist readings, perhaps, you know, my 30s. And so, you know, I'm 51 now, so that's probably 20 years. I thought you were 50. I could be. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm 51. I man. thought I was texting you on your birthday. I was like, "Happy 50th." I thought you were like, "I just turned 50." 51. 51. <laughs> it's accelerating. I'll be 60 tomorrow. Oh, whoa! <laughs> um, did you ever try to be Jack Kerouac? Oh yeah, man. I had like, I had like a flannel shirt and a little notebook, and I was drinking poor boy bottles of red wine in the back of pickup trucks driving <laughs> around the country. And, see, I should have been dead then, right? But I'm like, hey, man, I'm going out swinging. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's interesting, man. Well, so I want to get back to Buddhism at a certain point. But um, I do want to ask, like, your development as a as either like a writer or a creative person. Um, I just I think that's it's such an interesting career, but it's also there are lessons to be paralleled to what we're going through now and there's lessons to be parallel to obviously us as ultra runners and things like that which by the way 15 minutes in before we mentioned ultra running but you know, Ooh. yeah yeah they're gonna be listening to this podcast going wait what the hell did i sign on for <laughs> where's the heavy breathing man <laughs> uh yeah you know we talked a little bit about that in the um in one of our preceding uh, conversations, which was, you know, this idea in ultra running, running, which, which, which I found unique was cause I played a lot of baseball growing up. And, and one of the big things in baseball was, you know, you have to forget the last play, right? Yeah. You make an error, you know, you got a strike call that you thought was a ball or whatever. You have to, you have to, you have to forget that as quickly as possible. You have to have a, you know, a short, a short memory. Whereas I realized in ultra running, it's kind of the opposite, which is you have to erase the future, right? Your anticipation of it, uh, because there's no way you're going 100 miles if you're on mile seven and you're thinking of 93 miles, right? You constantly have to go. No, that doesn't exist. And it's you have to drop back into the moment and you just have to keep biting it off in chunks, whether those chunks are one 
you know, one step or a hundred steps or a mile at a time or 10 miles at a time when it's going good. Um, and I think that's the same that can serve why well, I know it can serve for, for, for a career like writing or, or the creative arts or, or anything really where, you know, it's such an unknown future. I mean, you, you come out of college and you got your little Jack Kerouac notebook and you're like, I'm going to be a writer. Uh, and it's kind of hard. <laughs> I like young Paul's voice. Yeah. Hey guys. Uh, <laughs> hey guys. This is easy, right? <laughs> um, but but you have to have this doggedness that just kind of keeps erasing the future. It's just like I just got to keep doing what I'm doing, right? I've just got to keep moving forward because I believe it, right? This is the thing, and so I can't I can't dread what hasn't happened yet. I, I can't let that inform things. And, and the thing about that is that becomes a practice like Buddhism, which is that it's that whole thing of, you know, X plus one, right? And it, that that's the way to, you know, excel and, you know, do, you know, to make it through life, which is, you know, X being the number of times you get knocked down and X plus one being the number of times you get up, right? Um, it's that perpetual soldiering on despite the unknown. Um, you know, obviously that, that you know, how that relates to ultra running is obvious, uh, but it's the exact same, you know, muscles in the soul that, that, you know, aspire, you know, that, that are, you know, related to all the things in writing and any kind of path in life, which is, I don't know, but I must continue and it hurts and it sucks and I want to quit, but there is no other way, but this way. Right. Um, and it's a doggedness, you know, and, and it's, a, you know, you're almost stupid. You're almost stubborn. But, you know, Beethoven, you know, said, es muss sein. It must be, right? <laughs> and and that's how it has to be. It must be. It must be this way. Um, and, that, and that can apply to so many things in life. But I think that that's what kept me in the ballgame writing, you know, because, you know, the first number of years of writing, no matter how good you think you are, nothing's happening. You know, and by then everyone quits because they go, yeah. oh, dude, I thought I was going to be an overnight success. And it's like, <laughs> it's it, it's not about now. It's about 10 years from now. Yeah. 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 When even does that even apply to like starting a book or starting a new project? Because like you said, if you were writing sentence one and you're like, I only have, you know, 580,000 more of these and then I'll be done. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally the same. It's like, I mean, at one level you're like, Jesus Christ, here we go, man. <laughs> I remember running a the marathon to Saab in um, Morocco. Uh, and it was the first, you know, long run I'd really done. Uh, Good choice for I, num the first one. Yeah, <laughs> I, know, I know. My friend talked me into it. I'm like, Okay. Uh, but I remember once I got there and you're in this foreign country and, you know, you're in the middle of the Sahara and you're towing the line there and you're thinking like, are you kidding me? 145 miles through the <laughs> sand. And you're like, and I just started laughing. I'm like, I have no idea, man. <laughs> I have no idea, but let's just start. <laughs> let's see where it goes. Uh, and I can remember that feeling. It was just, it was just the absurdity of such a massive endeavor that you don't really, you can't even conceptualize really. 
and, you know, writing a book, I suppose, is like that. Or, you know, I remember walking out of the hospital with our firstborn baby, you know, a little tiny thing in the, in the, in the car carrier. And I'm like, you're really going to let me walk out of here with this thing? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then you just got to chuckle a little bit and go, of course, I mean, life is all an unknown, right? And, and again, it all comes back to how you respond. Yeah. And you can just freak, right? It's like, no way I'm running across the desert. Not, that's it. I'm getting on a plane. I'm going home. Or, you know, I can't do this fatherhood thing. Yeah. Screw that, man. I'm going to, you know. I'm going to the gas station. Yep. Hit the gas station and go get some 40s and some cigarettes. Sayonara, baby. <laughs> <laughs> but it is so, I think that's actually kind of an, an important idea is think about that. Because me and you, we both went through the fatherhood thing. And it's the craziest, most paradigm shit. Like I was talking about this with my leadership class uh, that I teach this year. And we're talking about paradigm shifts. And they're like, when's your biggest paradigm shift? I'm like, I just started laughing. I'm like, dude, ask any of your parents what their biggest paradigm shift is. And all of them will say, when I had a kid. Because you're right, you get home and you're like, what do I do? But then like literally two days later, you're in that mode and it's just normal now. It's normalcy. And just think about how adaptable and resilient and flexible like people are. It's amazing like how how flexible like humans are in whatever the situation that they're in, you know? They just adapt to it. I agree. And and, and I mean, and it's intrinsic and, and people can challenge that and all that, but it's like, man, hey man, the human species wouldn't have survived, yeah. right? Um, if that wasn't, you know, the majority of the cases. Um, but all these things go back to what I was kind of talking about with this current virus uh, situation, which is, of course you can be the dude that ditches your, the mother of your child because it's a pain in the ass to be a father. Of course you can be the dude that flies to Morocco and starts this race and says, no way, I'm getting the plane, I'm flying home. Uh, of course you can be the dude that shoots your neighbor to get the toilet paper now. Um, that's the, the easy way out and it feels terrible yeah. and your sense of self is just crushed. I mean, I can remember the, the one race that I quit and I was so certain that I wanted to quit. Oh, I'm going to feel so good if I just quit this race. And I did. And I was really young then. And, uh, and for years I lived with that, that the fact that I quit, um, it was dreadful in, yeah. in, so if you do something short-sighted now around this whole virus, you're going to live with that for the rest of your life. And you just always want to kind of keep your head up as much as you can. It's hard, man. It's hard to start a race or have a kid or, or not freak out about the virus or whatever. But, but really, that's the only way towards fulfillment yeah. is if you can kind of, you know, kind of smile in the face of the storm and go, all right, man, you're probably going to kick my ass, but <laughs> that's the only way I can go. <laughs> yeah. Well, dude, you're so right. Like think how fulfilled you are after doing a positive action and then think how much regret you, you feel after doing something negative. So just to like bring it back, we, I mean, we haven't had you on to talk about desert ass this year. And just because I knew you were like insanely busy, just so you know. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but yeah, right. uh huh. <laughs> wait for the call. <laughs> no, man, I would talk to you every okay. Side note, real quick, I'm kidding. I'm you kidding. sent me the nicest email I've ever gotten ever, 
and I read it out loud to Lindsay, teared up, and then I was like, can I print this off and just, can you read this to me every morning in Paul's voice so I can be just pumped <laughs> up to take on the world? <laughs> hey, baby. Hey, hello. Uh, but, um, but, but, but that, that's, that's, that I didn't write that email. I mean, your actions wrote that email that that's oh, world reciprocating your actions back to you. Right. And that feels quite nice. Right. Feels great. You're like, oh, Somebody wrote me a really nice email. Well, no, they didn't. You earned that email, right? Um, oh, man, but you that, went above and beyond, my friend. I don't know, dude. You're you're a pretty special fella. I mean, it's it's. I would, anyhow, um, but to draw it back to desert rats, like the whole like yeah. feeling good about yourself. I yeah. know you or all of us who are in our tent, me, you, and and Smelly Phil. Um, we are the most like if we talked about like desert rest 2019 the memory we have out of everything out of everything that happened that whole week the one that stands out above all else at least for me maybe i'm speaking for you but it's when we had that crazy storm yep. and we all did the right thing which yep. was not like we heard someone yelling for help and instead of just staying in our tents and rolling over and falling back asleep, which we would have all regretted and felt like, like complete assholes about, you know, we all did the right thing and sprinted out and like helped buckle down the tent. Even though, so, can I point so, out our tent should have blown away because we all left our own. Tent. I know all of a sudden like 600 pounds of manliness was out of the tent. <laughs> um, but so did you, did you recount that with Phil in a previous? Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, what the, I would only add to that is what what I found really heartening about that, because independently, that is, uh, you know, we hadn't discussed this, but th that is actually my my foremost memory of that that race was I remember that night and we all kind of went to bed kind of going, oh, this is kind of dodgy lightning storm and rain and all that. And, you know, kind of, you know, hunkering in your tent and, you know, worried about your own well-being and what have you and then kind of drifting off. Uh, and you really just want it to pass by and leave you alone, right? So that the fear and the uncertainty can go away. Uh, and then we all woke up at the same time. I mean, I literally just woke up to hear, to hear a woman screaming. And uh, and what was so heartening to me was there wasn't this, these three dudes kind of going, huh, what, what should we do? Sit up, think about it, talk, look at each other, all that. It was like instantaneous. It was like guys that were asleep that were five seconds later out of their mummy bags, just boom, straight up, unzip, run. And it's yeah. just like, and I'm like, wow, human beings are awesome. <laughs> They're just hardwired to just like, I don't have time to think, we gotta go fix that, Help. who is it? You know, and that's just awesome. Yeah. And that that's what I, that's what, I, like you, that's what I remembered most about that race. And I think that is almost like a small, you probably have better words for this because you're like, you know, you're, literate unlike me um but <laughs> it's like a oh i got it ready for this dude you're yes. gonna get your mind blown that was like a microcosm nice thank you <laughs> of like what's happening now and you know i i truly think and i was talking to my buddy the other day like i have much more hope and optimism about people coming together the world going through this experience 
coming together and finding humanity and ways to help each other. I truly do. And so that little moment in Desert Rats at Camp is representative to me of what people will do and can do, you know? Yeah, and I'd also say, um, you know, each time you're connecting or you're serving and you're being the positive part of, you know, the equation in circumstances like this, you know, that you can be the pebble that starts the landslide, right? One pebble hits two and two hits four and four hits eight, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and at risk of a very clunky kind of analogy, it's like, well, the coronavirus is spreading, you know, well, so can good acts, you know, one, one, one flap of your butterfly wings can affect, you know, it can spread through society, but it just requires that people step up, you know. Yeah. Um, I do. I do believe that that can be exponential, just like the spread of the virus. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, so just to go back to just community building in general, I think that's kind of the other experience we've had over the last couple of years uh, at the whole Desert Rats experience. Um, is a group of people who really don't know each other and who are all from different backgrounds able to come together and accomplish a goal um so can you kind of speak to that a little bit well i mean i don't know that i have any like profound insight about it other than it's 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 a marvelous thing to to behold you know which is all right so i'll tell you like a a slightly different like i i have a profound profound faith in in humans right um because I think people are pretty critical and critical cells, right? And division cells and conflict cells and all that stuff. Um, but if you just isolate a few human beings together, generally the best comes out of them. And so I think that field was only like 10 people last year, yeah. right? Uh, so we were a bunch of lost people in the desert and everybody just looked after each other. And, and there's a wonderful kind of, it's an odd analogy, but I'll try it. Uh, so I went down before we got locked down here in Northern California. I, I went down to Phoenix uh, last week uh, and I drove um, and I stayed the night in Barstow. And the next day I drove into Arizona and a huge rainstorm was coming through the Arizona desert. Right. And as you know, the desert can't absorb the water and you start having these flash floods. Right. And I'm driving on this back road uh, and the water starts getting higher in the in the washes. Right. And I keep, you know, it's a rental car. So I figure, you know rental cars fastest car in the world and <laughs> I, I could make it through these things uh but they're getting deeper each time it, you know finally i come to the end of the road or, or this part of the road where as far as i can see it's underwater it's like i don't know a third or a half mile of water and i'm like is it deep enough i can't tell i you know i've got a minivan is this gonna can i get through there and i have no idea because i'm just in remote desert right and then way down the road, I see a truck appear, right? And around me is like two other stalled cars that had tried to come through it. And they're already abandoned and their blinkers are on, but there's no drivers, right? So it's kind of this apocalyptic, you know, tableau, right? And I'm just standing out in the middle of the road in the rain because I get out of my car. And um, this car, this giant truck is slowly driving through the water towards me. And I'm standing out there in the middle of the road and I'm thinking, what does this guy think when he's looking at me? Right. Cause you know, there's this dude just standing out in the middle of the road in the rain <laughs> and I'm looking at him and I'm trying to tell how deep the water is, you know, cause it's a big burly truck and he gets to me 
and he's just some dude and I'm just some dude and the circumstances are really weird. Yeah. And I'm assuming that he's going to think, oh, this guy needs some help because his car broke down. Uh, and I point to my, you know, idling minivan and I say, I say, you think that thing's going to go through that? <laughs> and dude just starts laughing out loud, right? He just can't stop laughing. And his laughing makes me laugh, right? Yeah. So we're, so for about 30 seconds, it's just him laughing his head off, me laughing my head off. And, and he says, you're going to be all right. I'd recommend you turn around. And I go, oh, I'm going to turn around. Don't worry about it. And he laughs. He says, he just big old smile. He says, good luck, buddy. I really hope, you know, everything works out for you. And then he just takes off. And it was this small little 45 second interchange of just two people alone in the elements. Right. Um, and he could have just driven by me or flipped me off or said, dude, I can't help you or give me a fucking, you know, dirty look or whatever. And it's just this great moment where there's two random people that never knew each other. Yeah. Their first instinct within like, five seconds is just to start laughing their asses off. <laughs> and I'm like, that's awesome. People are awesome. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And again, like I said, it doesn't quite conform other than, than, you know, it's a, it, it's a, it's a faith in people story, but, but I was really struck by that. Last yeah. Week. Well, I yeah. had something similar and it was funny cause I'm pretty sure I was texting you during this day, but I went uh -huh. out this summer and climbed, uh, there's four 14ers and you can climb them all at once. And it's a really popular hike and it's quote unquote an easy 14er, even though they're all hard cause you get way up there. Oh, um, and so I started before the sun rose and I've been up this trail before, but all of a sudden I'm following this guy. Like I caught up with this dude and we start going on. We think it's the trail. This is a classic, like, way to get into serious trouble moment and we start going up these rocks and now we're bouldering and i was like dude i took my wife Lindsay up this one time like a few years ago and i don't remember like clinging to rocks you know for my life and you know so we're talking and we're connecting and stuff over that 30 minutes we're together and i was like hey man i think i'm gonna like cut down and try to find because i'm like this doesn't look right and uh and so he's like He's like, I'm going to go up a little higher. I'm like, okay. And so I go down, he goes up, but the whole time I'm watching his headlamp and I'm like, I hope he's okay. You know? And fast forward about three or two hours later, cause I found the correct trail and I made it to the top of the first 14er and I'm starting to come down and people are coming up and I just see the guy and he just looks at me cause we hadn't seen each other yet because it was <laughs> dark and he goes, Chris. And I can't remember his name now off the top of my head, but I was like, I don't know, let's say Noah. I was like, Noah? And he goes, <laughs> you're alive. I'm like, you're alive. And we like hugged each other. And I'm like, we exactly. knew, I'm like, we knew each other for like 30 minutes. And yet we're excited that we're okay. Like we're excited that we have well-being. And I don't know. I just think most people want other people to feel good. And most people want other people to be all right, you know? And I know that's a... a uh, component of Buddhism. Well, yeah, but it's also you give them license to feel good when you're kind. Yeah. Right. Um, cause I find that everybody takes themselves way too serious, way too serious. And if you can help them take themselves a little less serious, they're almost relieved. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? 
it's like it's not a me versus you thing or competition or anything like that. It's just a couple of guys screwing around, you know. All of a sudden, they let their hair down, you know, and you're not a threat. Um, and you give them license to just to relax a little bit, yeah. you know. And that's a service too, right? It's yeah. just like, you know, they're like, oh, dude, well, what's the problem? I'll hang with you. Yeah. I actually think you should do this, Paul, because when you said people take themselves way too serious and knowing, you know, your whole career in Hollywood stuff, because mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a lot going on there of people <laughs> taking themselves a little too serious. Um, I think you should hire Phil Pinty as your personal assistant. And you go into a meeting, right? With all yeah. these like super serious folk and all of a sudden Phil's right behind you. Could you imagine? He would like instantly turn the room into just a good old time. Yeah. They'd just be like, what the hell's going on? Hurricane Phil just hit our shores, man. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. Like it is. It's the giving people permission like, hey, lighten up. Like this is supposed to be fun. Lighten up. But but you're actually not telling them that because no. if you tell them that, <laughs> yeah. then they hate you. <laughs> Whereas if you just like implicitly are like, hey, man, it's just a couple of people just saying, let's just dick around. Yeah. Then they're like, oh, cool. I'm in on that, too. Yeah. You know, I mean, some people are a bit, you know, can't be saved. But, <laughs> yeah. but majority of people are like, yeah, man. Oh, sweet. I can like not take myself serious for a minute. Thank God I'm tired of me. Yeah, exactly. It's the whole thing you were talking about earlier. Like when you just feel lighter, yeah. it's it's easier to kind of get by. Um, I wanted to ask you about this. It's it's interesting to me, like how zen and chill you are um, and positive when as a fiction writer, you have to add that conflict or, you know, because otherwise you're just you're reading. Uh, and I made this reference a couple episodes ago. I was reading The Shining and I remember thinking to myself, like, man, I hope it works out for these folks. <laughs> man, I hope it works out for these folks. Yeah. And I was like, what's the... I Then in my mind, I'm like, what do you think they're going to do? Like, go to this hotel in the middle of the mountains and they're going to get snowed in? Like, just build snowmen and go sledding? Like, come on, dude. Work out the problems in their marriage and everything will be fine. Yeah. <laughs> he writes his book. It's all good. Uh but no, like how, how do you balance that? Because you have to come up with conflict. Like your imagination must oh, right. be going wild, you know? Right. Right. Um, yeah. So you're right. I mean, implicit in any kind of narrative is conflict, right? I mean, if you don't have conflict, there's no narrative. Um, like, so f- for instance, I just finished a novel about, uh, grave robbers in England in 1820. And it's a, dark book i mean they're dealing when you know it dealing in decaying corpses and there's lots of murder and everything uh, because i find that whole world historically very interesting uh but if you read it um you 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 find empathy for anybody you know even the lowest of the low as a writer it's, it's critical that you have this like very kind of fine-tuned sense of empathy right which is well why do they do the things they do and what do they aspire to um because nobody's just everybody's working within the realm of the human condition, you know, and, and some are of course more warped versions of, of, of it. But, and so within that book, you see everybody, even the murderers, they're all, they're all trying to get to the light, right? Um, they're all aspiring in one way or another. And so there's a great deal of empathy for these characters. Um, so yes, it, it, you know, the fundamental construct of fiction is, 
it's conflict. But the real heart of it is um, is the soul of it, you know, the empathy, yeah. the, the characters, yeah. whether they're good or bad. You have to be able to see into their hearts and understand those dark places of your own hearts, of your own heart, rather, uh, to be able to really write a true account of that. Um, and so you have to recognize that you have both sides in you. You know, you have those dark elements in you. And, and now do you want to dwell on that? Do you want that to be the overriding, you know, theme of the story or do you want to say that at the end the soul kind of wins yeah um and i would prefer you know my time on the earth to have more of that latter version of things you know that i would rather add value to the world in that sense because we just don't need more people in the world shouting each other at twitter and more people telling us how fucked we are because while you know a call to action is absolutely required sometimes including now um I find that I'm not adding anything new, right? People are already doing that job for me, yeah. you know, which is burning, burning each other down and blaming each other. And if, you know, say I got in the Twitter storm and just started yelling too, um, my voice would be lost in that storm of that. I'd just be the umpteenth billion person going, ah, goddamn the Democrats and the Republicans and the Chinese. And, you know, it's like, yeah. all right, got it. Cool. You guys do that. Yeah. You guys do that. You guys got that box ticked. <laughs> you know? um, I'm gonna try to go a different way. Yeah. Do you think as a writer, like you get to have a healthy outlet for getting it out, like getting that kind of, and I, I keep doing air quotes and I realize it and I'm embarrassed because of it. But anyway, sorry. Well, no, but it's in the, it's in the inflection of your voice, the, the podcaster, the podcast, the seven people that are listening to it will get it. My mom, <laughs> my mom will get it. She's like, I really like that Paul guy. He's great. Um, uh, yeah. No, do you, but, do you think that's a healthy no, way? That, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, 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 I think that's why I started writing when I was like in eighth grade was just to get these things out. Um, you know, in a lot of ways that the darkest characters are the funnest to write, you know, because um, you do get the catharsis of those of those parts of you that um, would otherwise be perhaps repressed. Right. Or suppressed anyhow. Um you know, so maybe it's a, for, a, a form of psychoanalysis, you know, where it's like, you know, rather than paying $120 an hour to be on some dude's couch where you can say, but tell me about the dark side, Paul. I'm like, all right, dude, I'll give you some dark side. <laughs> tap, 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 tap. <laughs> um, yeah, man. Well, and I think that would almost be a healthy strategy. If, you know, I know for me personally, in my darkest moments on earth writing, I consciously was like, dude, you have to write this stuff down. And some of it was just like, you have to get this out of your head and put it on paper and put that in a safe spot so you know you can go back to it. Where I'm like, oh, I'm comfortable to going back to these thoughts. Like, I'll never forget these thoughts because I have them on paper, but now I don't have to like dwell on them because they're already out, if that makes sense. Yeah, so a few thoughts on that. Like, first is like, you know, I talk to a lot of people about writing, um, and they're often, you know, usually writing their first thing, right? Yeah. And then let's say it's a book, and, and they're writing their book, and they're lost in the middle of it, and they're freaking out because, you know, uh, I can't see, you know, I can't see the edges of it, you know, I, I can't see the end, you know, it's it's too big, you know, and and I've always felt like at that stage, the book is bigger than you, the story is bigger than you, right? 
and you are you are dwarfed by it and you're in your you're scared right um and i always say just finish even if it's shit just finish get to the last page right because then you're outside of it then then you have that book and you can put it on a shelf and you can go there's that book yeah right i'm not inside that book anymore i'm looking at a product right so in a lot of ways, I think that's analogous to what you're saying about, you know, whatever, you know, journal entry or letter or, or short story or book that you might be talking about, which is this idea of just get it out, man, and then put it on a shelf and you can look at it and you go, that's how I was feeling about coronavirus or, yeah. you know, this relationship or whatever, um, because you're not trapped inside of it anymore. You're, you're looking at it, right? You're like, in, in you know, in, in then you can perhaps do more drafts, right? Um, and the second thing I would say is, you know, uh, a common misperception about something like Buddhism is that, you know, you're supposed to get to this place where your mind is pure and, you know, everything is great and shiny. And that's not it at all. It's, it's a fundamental understanding that the human condition is comprised of both light and dark, right? And no one doesn't have that, including you. No one, right? You have dark places in your soul, right? And it doesn't help to just be ashamed of them and suppress them. The Buddhist perception is you sit down with it and you calm your mind enough and you calm yourself through practice where you can coexist with it and observe it, right? And here's the jealous part of me. Here's the spiteful part of me. Here's the covetous part of me, right? And just let it be. Just let it be. Don't spin a story about it. Don't lambast yourself about it. Don't do any of these things. Just let it be. Let it pass through, right? Um, And it it becomes a form of acceptance, right? And again, it goes back to that idea of if you can do that and you can see what that looks like and feels like, then you go, do I want to feel like that? Isn't it a little more fun to connect with people and embrace the love? Right. Uh, But you really can't do that if you don't see and accept both sides and see them for what they are. Uh, And that's a really big deal in Buddhism, which is you're not trying to eradicate something that you can't eradicate, which is your dark side. Right. You're 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 coming to peace with it. And naturally, a wisdom arises that says it's just a little more pleasant, broadly speaking, to be on the side of. You know, openness and love. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I 100% agree, except when you're canoeing. <clears throat> <laughs> yes. I got a big pole laugh. It's awesome. <laughs> no, canoeing, dude. When you canoe, here's the here's the experience of canoeing, okay? Let me just tell you this right off the bat. Except when you're canoeing. <laughs> <laughs> you, it looks so much fun. It looks like, hey, there's a river. Oh, look how great that looks out there. Oh, it's blue and cold. And you get in the canoe, right? And you sit down. And the first paddle strokes, they're okay. You're like, this is fine. And after about 10 paddle strokes, your your back starts hurting because you're like trying to sit straight up in the canoe. And you're like, oh, this is kind of weird. And then your arms start hurting. And you realize the guy like in the back of the canoe doesn't know how to actually paddle. And steer. And you can't reverse, right? Because the 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 current has yeah. taken you. So you can't go home. 
I have I'm committed to this now. And you're like, oh. oh my god, this is my hell. Canoeing is my hell. <laughs> and then in that moment when you accept that you're stuck in your own personal hell of canoeing, like cussing <laughs> and feeling angry and all that, it actually is pretty uh And then weird. you learn to let go. Yeah, you learn to let go and you just start cursing into the sky about it. And it, it actually makes you feel better for a little bit until you're, you know, at the point where you get out of the canoe. So I went through a very similar thing the first time I went whitewater kayaking. And, and I was I've never been a more miserable human being in my life for like two days because I, I couldn't get out. Right. It was like there's no roads out. And then finally, after two days, I could do an Eskimo roll. And I'm like, wait a minute. I like this. That's cool. Maybe <laughs> that's it. Maybe you just maybe that's the theory to the or the the uh lesson and the moral here is you just got to keep going and eventually you'll learn to love it because once again we're adaptable we'll love our situation you know yeah i mean i would have quit that in a heart i would have quit that within like just like you like i would have got a like i think i fell over within like you know 30 seconds um i would have quit right then i would have been like hey dude (laughs) that was my 30 second that was my 30 second whitewater trip i'm out of here but i couldn't and yeah. I was stuck for two days and I was the most miserable, bitter dude in the world, but I was forced to stay Yeah. And by circumstance. And, uh, and like I said, two days later, I'm like, Oh wait, this is great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's like, that's it, man. We're all forced into this new weird situation for the next unforeseeable scary future. And we are going to adapt and, you know, it might not be, a super positive, like, I don't know. I'm not skipping down the street, throwing rose petals about the whole situation. No, I'm obviously like, I, I mean, I, I specifically reached out to you. Cause I'm like talking to Paul makes me feel better because I'm frustrated and angry and scared and anxious and all of that stuff. But we're going to adapt to the situation and we're going to find that there are some things to, you know, be present for. And like for me right now, I'm like, Hey, I get to be a kindergarten teacher every day for my daughter. And that's awesome because I've never, when would I ever have that experience? You know, like I wouldn't have that experience normally, but now I get to have this experience and I'm going to do my best damn job being a kindergarten teacher, you know? Well, I mean, the other thing is there's no version of this not being the reality, right? I mean, it's happening. This is it. Yeah. And it's like, what are you going to do about it? Right. Yeah. You got a choice. How are you going to do it about it? But the, you can't go back to the bank, man. The, the canoe left the left the bank, man. The you got to start paddling. You're on the canoe now. <laughs> we had a couple days where we were just cursing, cursing our sore backs That's and right. butts and arms and all that stuff. And but now we're we're in it and we got to figure it out, you know. That's right. There's, there's no way out. I mean, I mean, you know, there will be ultimately at the end of the river, but it's like you, you got to paddle right now, man. You got to dig. Yeah. Yeah. I want to ask you one more thing. And I know we're going longer than 40 minutes. Um, yeah. Whatever. Okay. That, that's generally what happens on here. So if you're a future guest listening to this and I email you and I say, I don't know, 30 minutes or 40 minutes in my mind, I'm always like, this is going to go longer. I got this guy. <laughs> um, that's so great. I want to ask you just about like the power of stories um, just in general, because I'm seeing it for the first time with my kindergarten daughter, my six year old. Um, We are we watch some shows and we all we watch a Star Wars cartoon. Yeah. 
and it's awesome. But yeah, as we're watching it, she is so in, and I just see, I get to see the magic of like the first big story with heroes and villains and and plot twists and all this stuff like connecting in her little brain and it's and we'll leave or or she'll it'll the episode will end and i i will have been doing something else like the dishes or something and she'll come up to me and be like oh my god you won't believe what happens she'll sit down and like explain the whole thing it's so cool yeah i mean for me what what i've i've i've, I've wrestled with this because you know, in part it's because I've been, you know, trafficking and, and narrative my whole life. And yeah. I work in, you know, a, a, cynic, a, a cynicism kind of inducing business, you know, which is Hollywood. Um, but I find, uh, you know, I've found over the last decade or so that I really don't watch many movies or read many fiction books. I, I tend to watch documentaries. And I tend to read nonfiction, right? And and I think in part, you know, for a long time, I've just been, look, I, you know, I know how the sausage is made. I, you know, I, I don't want to read other people's stories because I know all the tricks. And I, you know, I've been to the puppet show. I've seen the strings, right? Um, <clears throat> but then it occurred to me something else, right? Which is, just like you said, I've, I've gone to some movies that I would otherwise hate with my son. Uh, and they're awesome because I'm with him, yeah. right? What was it? I saw like Midway this year and I saw like Kong Skull Island or something. Oh my, let's just pause. Kong Skull Island is an amazing movie. (laughs) It's so good. I'm, you know me, man. I'm all in on like the really dumb action movies. And I just remember that one. Like I'm at the age, I just want something fun and it doesn't have to like, it can be really dumb and there can be dinosaurs and like Kong <laughs> fighting helicopters and stuff. I was all in. That's all I'm saying. Uh, but I, I, I just, it, I was like, it's a different experience. He's 10, you know? Yeah. And, and <laughs> Every movie's awesome when you're 10. Yeah. And, and it occurred to me, you know, maybe I'm late to the party and I'm a little slow or something, but I'm like, you know what? They're not really for me anymore. Stories are not meant. They're not designed for older people per se. You know, uh, stories are for the young, right? And and it occurs to me that it's a generational thing. And so in, in some ways, it's like it becomes our job to become the storytellers, right? Um, and, and, and tell stories to the young, you know? And, and if you think about it, you know, I'm sure that's how it was, you know, 10,000, 50,000 oh, yeah. years ago around the, around the campfire. And, and so, you know, it's our job. What kind of stories do we want to tell? Um, and I was thinking today, you know, just randomly, and, and again, I'm, I'm ultimately optimistic about this whole coronavirus thing. Right. Uh, but I was also thinking, you know, how do I represent this to my children? Cause I have a 10 year old and a six year old. Right. Um, and, and, and I don't know if you remember that movie, uh, the Roberto Benigni movie, uh, life is beautiful. No. Did you see that? Dude, you should I see that. I watched Kong Skull Island. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've heard of it. I've heard of. Don't freak out. It's a foreign film, dude. I watched Parasite this year. Best movie I saw. Okay, so you'll love this movie because I think it won um, Academy Award. I think Benigni ran, jumped on the chair and all that stuff. But um, it's awesome because it's an odd story, obviously, but it's just touchdown. I mean, it's just everything about it's right. And basically, it's World War II, and they're in a concentration camp. This guy and his family. Are, are there and his son is I don't know six or something uh, and Benigni's whole job 
what he does, and it's just it's it's so genius the way he does it because he's just such a comic genius. But basically, he tells his son at the beginning when they're first, you know, incarcerated and taken to the concentration camp, he says, this is all just a big act. It's all just a big joke, right? And so the whole movie, he does all these things around like the concentration camp guards and everything to make the whole thing look like it's fake and it's just a joke. And he always makes the kid laugh. So the kid the whole time just thinks that it's a big joke. Yeah. And it actually gets the kid through, right? Um, but it's this Herculean effort by the father, you know, despite you getting his ass kicked and all the different stuff of telling the kind of story he wants to tell to his kid because he thinks it's most productive given the circumstances to, to keep the kid hopeful. Right. Um, and to me, I've just been reflecting on that and I'm like, I have to be careful how I represent this to my kids, you know, uh, because this is such a formative time in their life. And, you know, if, if I teach them at age six and 10, that when the crisis comes, you've got to be terrified and pessimistic and point fingers at people, they'll carry that with them until they're 90 years old. Right. Uh, so we have to be careful about the kind of stories we pass on, right? Um, anyhow, you should watch that movie. I just It's a very sweet movie, and it's very funny, too. Yeah, that's huge, man. I mean, we've been, I think, not necessarily consciously, but the way we've been talking to our kids, because obviously they know something's up, but it's the whole idea of you guys are, we're doing this right now to be heroes and be good people. And we're not, you know, able to go to school and we're not able to go inside the neighbor's house or anything like that because we're trying to do the right thing. And I think that message is more powerful than, oh my gosh, we're huddled up in here and we're terrified and we're angry or, or the message of like, I don't know, we just don't believe any of this. Like, so you know what i mean i just i think that's probably a more effective thing so dude i just added that to my watch list for uh i I think it won an academy award it's 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 i've heard of it yeah it's a great movie despite Um, my kong skull island tendencies i also watch good stuff sometimes (laughs) hey dude like i said i like kong skull island because i saw it with my son um but the other thing that i'd say is um the, the other way that I want to represent it to my kids is, you know, everyone can represent, you know, we're all going to be locked down, but you can, you can kind of characterize being locked down as this imposition on your rights. And, you know, it's a, it's a huge, you know, pain in the ass. Um, or you can say we're doing our civic duty. Yeah. Right. And it, it's unfortunate, but it's a sacrifice, uh, you know, just like in the time of war. Right. Um, and there's this idea that, uh, again, one more Buddhist reference and I promise I won't make anymore. Uh, but one of my favorite teachers is an Englishman. His name is Ajahn Amaro. Uh, and he had this great, this great little, uh, thing that he was talking about at one point, which was, you know, you get out there on the, the, the freeway and you're driving and you say, damn all this traffic around me. Why does this traffic have to be here? But does does anyone ever think, oh, I'm traffic, right? And we're all vectors for this thing, right? And we're part of the problem if we're on the streets, 
And it's not pleasant for us to be locked up in our home and uncertain. But if we're going to do our civic duty, then we should not be part of traffic. Yeah. Uh, and so that's what I'm telling my kids is like part of the reason we're doing this is because we're taking one less vector off the street. And that's our responsibility as part of a society. For sure, man. And plus, like, you get to spend more time with your kids right now. How cool is that? Oh, you know, dude, I love it, man. We're playing video games and dancing, and I'm sure, like, three or four days from now, we'll be like screaming at each other. <laughs> <laughs> kids, <did> you... <laughs> never mind. I was gonna mention. I was gonna reference The Shining again, but I won't. Um, even though I just did. You're got snow outside the window, not me. Man. Oh crap! That's true. Yeah. And I've been trying to write my lifelong novel for like five years while i'm stuck in here all i've gotten is one sentence no play (laughs) makes chris a dull boy awesome man well hey paul it's so good to talk to you dude like you know i love you i think you're one of the best humans on earth and you always calm me and in this moment i needed that and i hope other people you know were, were calmed by your presence as well including you know i was texting our friends from this summer uh kayla and phil and okay. I, I mentioned I was going to talk to you tomorrow. And they're like, oh, my God, we all need Paul right now. So <laughs> you're, you're needed and wanted and appreciated, my friend. Well, but, but, I, but I think more so, I think that applies to you. And, you know, you've actually got a platform here and um, what you're doing and, and, and the people you're seeking out and the type of conversations you want to have. You know, that, that I think is, is a bigger thing. Uh, so I'm just glad to be part of your process. Um, because keep doing what you're doing, man. We just we we got to keep people positive and uh, erasing the future and next step in front of the next and hugging each other, you know, yeah. all along the way. Yeah, for sure. I mean, hug your family, mm-hmm. but not just oh random yeah, people. don't right, hug right. random people. You got to right. yeah. Can I just Sorry. say real quick? I I shaved a mustache. I know. Uh huh. And it's so, not good. What? So what do you call that type of mustache? What, how do you characterize that? It's a really crappy mustache. But would it be porn? Or... Um, I would say like more along the lines of like <clears throat> freshman, freshman in high school attempting a mustache. You look a little like Chuck Norris right now. Oh, well, that's cool. I mean, <laughs> you know, he's all uh, just it. <laughs> but I told no, I did it because, uh, you know, Lindsay's coming home from work and maybe a little stressed and I just look stupid. And oh, so she hasn't seen it yet? No, she's seen it. Uh-oh. Yeah. And well, let me, I'll just share this real quick. This is a fun game you can play, Paul. Um, uh-huh. I took a picture with a mustache and I was going like holding my chin, like trying to look smart. And we took a picture of it. <clears throat> this was like a couple of years ago. And all of a sudden we started hiding the picture around the house and pranking each other. So you'd like open the refrigerator and all of a sudden there's creepy mustache Chris. And you're like, whoa. And uh, the more elaborate the schemes were and the longer the picture remained hidden, the better. Because then you find it and it's yeah. even funnier. Um, Lindsay had the ultimate one. She... We went into her clinic and it. Uh, I brought like one of the kids for a checkup, right? And uh, the nurse walks in. Lindsay's not even in the room, but the nurse walks in and she gives me the little clipboard that you fill out. So I'm <laughs> filling out the clipboard and all this stuff. 
and I get done with the page and I'm like handing it back to her and she goes, Oh, there's another side to the page. I'm like, Oh, okay. And I take the page and I flip it over and there's mustache Chris. Genius. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, <laughs> she got me. And she wasn't even Love there it. to witness it. Uh, it. That's yeah. strong. But then I told Lindsay today, I'm like, this is my social distancing mustache because no one wants to be within six feet of me. I was thinking that I, I think there's an opportunity here to like kind of do things that you wouldn't otherwise do in public. Oh, like, good call. I'm going to like grow my beard out a little bit and then maybe wear some of the uglier clothes that I wouldn't be caught dead in public in, you know? Good call. So, yeah, I think there's an opportunity to let it all hang out. Will you, yeah. will, will you send, like, with the big, long, white beard, Paul, like, yeah. the Gandalf Paul, will you send a picture of that <laughs> to everybody? <laughs> We're out of here by then, man. <laughs> <laughs> a castaway Paul. Yeah. Fire! <laughs> I've been fire! <laughs> oh, man. Uh, awesome. Well, it was good talking to you, dude. That's oh, genius. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> all right. There you have it, guys. Like a Bigfoot podcast number 189. Let's all go out there. Um, Let's do the small things in a positive way. Let's let's, uh, make a positive difference, even if it's really small, you know, because those small ones are going to add up. They're going to get bigger and bigger. And whole communities doing positive things uh, is going to have an impact. It is. um, And it's. Like we talked about, you feel better and you 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 feel better when you're just acting within yourself, acting with conviction and just in a positive way. You feel better. And at this time, like it's scary and it can be frustrating and maybe even annoying to some Um but if you act positive, you'll feel better. It's a simple equation, man. I'm a simple dude. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny. Like the biggest lessons I've learned have been some of the easiest, like most duh lessons in life. And one is if you're acting in a way that is in line with your morals and your foundation, you feel better. If you act in a way that is out of line with your morals and your foundation, you feel worse. And me personally, like I'd rather feel better, you know, and I I just think that's a message we all need to hear right now. And um, I'm super glad that I have, you know, been able to be become friends with Paul and uh, I'm super glad that. I, you know, I was able to uh, chat with him for the show today, but really in all honesty, like I'm just glad that I have people in my life who are positive, who we can feed off of each other and who we can kind of build each other up because that is so needed always, not just right now. Like that is needed all the time. And I hope, you know, that these are kind of the lessons that we learn and humanity learns, um, you know, by going through this hardship, because this is a hardship. It's, it's tragic. Um, you know, it's, it's heart rendering, like it just wrenches your heart. Like it's just painful. Um, but there are lessons there and these are lessons that 
you know we need to be conscious of so um all right guys we'll come back at you i don't know in like four days or so i recorded with uh Brittany charbonneau who uh last month went out and competed in the olympic marathon trials and she got 13th place and she is another human being who's just radiant and she radiant radiance she radiates positive energy and joy and she uses that in her life and her running and um you know her relationships and things like that so uh super pumped to share that with you so come back check that out and uh yeah guys go do something positive for somebody you know this is a hard time do the right thing um and do it every day and do a bunch of right things and we can all do that so we got this man we got this